Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Whining About Herstory, a podcast where two gal pals chug wine and talk about women from history that you may not have heard of. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily, and I'm freaking the fuck out right now. <laughs> I have an adjustable desk, and I accidentally hit it with my elbow, and I don't think it was going so well. <laughs> it was rising, and I thought I was falling because I'm not sober enough to deal with, like, things <laughs> moving around me, so. Yeah, it was a bit startling. Anyways, let's jump into our wine for today. Um, I picked the Amé du Vin Province Rosé, which is an import from France. It was a little out of our normal $10. It was $13.99. It says, expressive notes of fresh apricot, citrus, and jasmine flower delight the senses, yielding an exceptional rosé with balance and length. Here's my question. Where was all of that? Yeah, I agree with Emily. There wasn't a ton of flavor until you like ate something sugary beforehand and then took a sip and then you're like, oh, there it is. Thank God for Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> but um, I mean... We, we've been drinking for about an hour now, at least two episodes of Veronica Mars. So this Woo-hoo. has definitely gotten us where we want to be. So I'll clink to that. There you go. To being right. where we want to be. All right. Clink. Alrighty. Yeah, it's like, it kind of reminds me of the LaCroix of wines where it's yeah. like, no, this was made while sitting next to a basket of strawberries or apricots or whatever yeah. else the fuck like, was supposed to be It's in not here. bad. It's... Just very bland. Yeah, I mean, if you like um, kind of bitter and wine tasty, go for it. I'm not going to judge you, but I mean, maybe I just basically am asking for a juice box that gets me drunk. I mean, it did have like the best bottle because it was like a real sexy bottle and then it had a glass cork, which was super cool. Can we talk about this? So we actually put this on our Instagram story, so go check it out. This is our first glass stopper. It's literally the first glass stopper I've even seen. Oh, yeah. I This is, I mean, we both popped our cherries with this glass stopper here. Not yeah. that that's an actual thing, but I'm going to say it. Although I will say the video I missed was when Emily was pouring her second glass of wine. <laughs> she goes to pour and I have to look at her and go, hey, Em, the stopper's still in the bottle. It's clear. I couldn't see it. So clearly this is a design flaw and we should stop making that. <laughs> it, it was a good moment and I wish I would have taken a photo before I said anything, but I didn't. It was it was pretty great. So um, I think we're going to just jump in here. We got our wine. We got some Sour Patch Kids. Yes, that was a birthday gift to me from a yes. friend. Oh, that reminds me. Um, I think it was when we recorded episode three. Because we, we record about a week ahead, so I have enough time to, like, be bit too busy and stressed out to edit. But um, we recorded episode three the night before Kelly's 28th birthday. Woot, woot. And I meant to give a shout out, but then wine got involved and I got so incre- in, like, amazed by the incredible women we were covering that I forgot the incredible woman sing right next Aww. to me. So happy belated birthday to our dear Kelly because I fucking Aww. love you. Thank you. I did I post love you on too. social media though. I did see that. So <laughs> I'm going to be covering two women today that are both uh, militarily based, which I know I kind of did last time, but the first one I'm going to be covering is Maria. I'm sorry. This is super Russian. So it's Maria... Atia Braskaya. That was actually pretty good. Like, we, there, there's a bunch of consonants shoved together with no vowels in the middle. So I was like, <laughs> I don't know how to say this. That, that, you said that confidently enough where I'm like, yeah, you know what you're doing. Yeah. And this, this was sent in to me, um, by another Emily in my life because <gasps> I like to surround myself with them. Um, my the sister-in-law, best. Emily. So shout out to her. Thank you, Emily. Um, this woman is also, her pseudonym is The Tank Driving Widow. Oh, shit. That's badass. Can that be my screen name? Sure. I mean, I've never been married. I don't care. And we'll I just, don't drive we'll a tank, for it. but I mean, we all lie on the internet, don't <laughs> um, we? First off, I'd like I'd like to also say that there's a super neat website out there um, called rejectedprincesses.com. Oh, I've heard of that. Which is actually super cool. So some of my information came from them, and I'd, I'd recommend you guys looking at it because there's a ton of neat women on there, and I probably will be using them more often from now on. Is it like princesses that are way too badass for Disney to use? Yes, basically. Love it. Okay, so into the story. 
So it's estimated that about 800,000 Soviet women served in the Red Army during World War II, mostly in the anti-aircraft battalions where they wouldn't be on the front lines and, you know, somewhat protected from a lot of the fighting. Um, Some of them served right in the thick of it, combat missions, um, nurses that ended up on the front lines, stuff like that. And although the Soviets did need as many soldiers as possible, because this is World War II. It was kind of a big deal. Yeah, a little bit. It escalated pretty quickly. <laughs> um, even during the most desperate times, uh, not every male soldier was be- was thrilled to join to be joined by women on the battlefield. Okay, so it's like, we need everyone we can, except if you have tits. Right? And Maria is one of the Russian women who did not want to watch from the sidelines. And she was also one of the women... Um, that would make these men eat their words. Oh my god, I'm already in love with her. Yeah, she's pretty great. Okay, so she was born into a poor Ukrainian family on the Crimean Peninsula. I'm not exactly sure where that is. Crimean. <laughs> I don't know, if you say it with enough Crimean. gusto. Um, she was one of t- t- ten children, because as we've said before, what else is there to do? Um, <laughs> Especially in Russia. During right. World War II, it's just, well, you watch the snowfall, you fuck your wife, you get some potatoes. So before the Great Patriotic War, which is the Soviet name for the Eastern Front of the Second World War, which I love. I didn't know that because had its own that, name. That's when, well, in Russia, because that's when the Germans started invade, um, invading Russia in the winter, which was a terrible idea, which yeah. they soon figured out. But, you know, so that's why the Russians or the Soviets call it, you know, the Great Patriotic War. I love it. I love it. So basically the great patriotic freezing of the Germans because they shouldn't have fucking done this. Right. Because they're idiots. So she she worked in a cannery as she grew up and then a telephone operator. In 1925, she married a Soviet army officer, Ilya Oktyabraskaya. So that's where her last name came from. Okay. That was not her original name. (laughs) That would be a little weird. So when she married him, she began to acquire an interest in military matters. She became involved in the Military Wives Council, and she trained as an army nurse. Her husband, it well, it's, it's thought her husband taught her how to use weapons and drive vehicles, which back then a lot of women in Russia didn't drive vehicles, so it's pretty cool. Like, I have to imagine that their dates were pretty badass. Like, oh, I'm going to teach you how to shoot. Hey, you know what? Instead of just sitting in a Netflix and chilling, what if I teach you how to fire a gun into some poor Nazi's face? Yeah, you know. Oh my god, like that's just, that's so romantic. romantic. And that's when I knew (laughs) he was the one. Um, She did say, quote, marry a serviceman and you serve in the army. An officer's wife is not only a proud woman, but also a responsible title. I think that's very sweet, because even in the military today... It's it's not that just the soldier serving, the whole family serves. Oh, yeah. So when the Eastern Front started in World War II, Maria was evacuated to Tornsk in Siberia. Oh, super fun. You know, probably along with a lot of other women and children. A little vacation. Right? A little vacay to Siberia, next destination. Also, I totally said that. I said Tornsk, but it's an M, so it's Tomsk. Oh, Tomsk. My okay. bad. Still I mean, in Siberia. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to put this out there right now. If you're listening and you knew that she was wrong, props for you. Right? Everyone else, you can't get mad at us. <laughs> so she learned that her husband was killed fighting the Nazi Germany forces near oh. Kiev. and So he died in August 1941. Fuck. The news took two years to reach her. What? I mean, it's Siberia, but, you know, also fighting. And yeah, so the news took two years. So she didn't find out until 1943. Oh, my God. So for two years, she's she didn't like, know. oh, God, I hope he comes home. Fucking A, that is awful. The news angered her greatly, and she became determined to fight the Germans for vengeance of her husband's death, which, good on you, girl. That's a beautiful way to cope with the loss of a loved one. I'm going to take vengeance, and it's going to be bloody. Right? So she sold literally all of their belongings, like everything she owned, um, in order to buy a tank. She then she bought her own fucking yep. tank. She then um wrote a wrote a letter to Stalin saying, "My husband was killed in action defending the motherland. I want revenge on the fascist dogs for his death and for the death of the Soviet people tortured by the fascist barbarians. For this purpose, I've deposited all of my savings, 50,000 rubles to the National Bank in order to build a tank. I kindly asked to name the tank Fighting Girlfriend and to send <gasps> me to the front line as a driver of said tank." 
Oh my fucking god. Yeah. So she's basically like, Stalin, this is what I plan to do. You better just be okay with it. Yeah. Stalin, who's probably killed more people than Hitler, you need to get on board right? because <laughs> I'm doing this regardless. Um. So he wrote back actually fairly quickly and agreed. Hey, part, girl, you do you. Right? Part of it was that his state defense committee advised him that this move would have a positive effect on morale, you know, and, you know, show the show the population that stuff was being done and, you know, like, make everyone happy that, like, oh, look, like, there's this woman who's fighting for her cause and, you know, like, going out there and killing Nazis. Well, and especially in a time where they needed every single person they could take. Right. And she's showing, like, no, I'm buying my own tank. Just send me. Yeah. And showing that a woman of all people is taking charge and right. going to get shit done. To protect it's, the motherland. I'm sure a lot of women are nudging their husbands and boyfriends. Why the right. fuck can't you buy your own tank, <laughs> you little bitch? So it wasn't uncommon, apparently, for citizens to donate money to, you know, the Red Army and to the production, like, of the Soviet Union and everything, but it was unusual for it to be a woman. Usually those donations obviously were made by men. Yep. So the tank she bought and drove was a T-34 medium tank. There will be a picture of it up on the blog. Okay, because I don't um, know what any of Neither that do means. I. <laughs> it looks like a tank to me. I really don't know the difference. Jared would be so ashamed of me right now. Yeah, Thank God he doesn't listen. <laughs> so by this time, she was 38 years old. And she took part in a five-month tank training program immediately after she bought the tank. Okay. This was actually super unusual for tank crews in general, at least at this time, because most of them were rushed straight to the front line with minimal training because they just needed people. Just figure it out. Just get in the tank. It's very intuitive. Well, and tanks are not just one person because there's someone, you know, like on the gun, there's someone driving, like... There's a crew. I don't know how many people it is, but I know it's more than one. Yeah, it, it takes... It I takes, think it's three, it maybe four. It takes a village to drive a tank. <laughs> there you go. So she completed her five-month training, and she was posted to a 26 guards tank brigade, part of the second guards tank corps. So that was September 1943, and she was assigned as a driver and mechanic of her tank that they did name the Fighting Girlfriend, which they emblazoned... On the turret of her tank, which you can see in the picture, but it's in Russian, so... Just take our word for it. It says the fighting <laughs> it girlfriend. It says the fighting girlfriend. I kind of want to get that tattooed on me. Right? I, like a I, little picture of a tank that says the fighting girlfriend. I love tattoos, and I love the stories behind people's tattoos. I've never had anything that, like, I want on me so badly that we get tattooed. Kelly has, like... Two. Two tattoos now. Like, within the past year, you've been talking about getting one of those tattoos for years. And I had, I'm not going to lie, I'd kind of been like, I think this is just going to stay in the someday (laughs) category. And then all of a sudden she texts me, by the way, I got a fucking tattoo. And I'm like, okay, excuse me, where was I? Rude. Sorry. I'm getting another one at the end of April, too. Oh, my fucking God. Okay. Apparently, I just need to, like, <laughs> jump on up. this bandwagon. The the fighting girlfriend will be my next tattoo, yeah. and I'm going to get married, and it's going to be just an it's awkward great. tattoo. No, it'll be great. <laughs> well, I mean, she was married, and she's still married. Yeah, she was the a widow girlfriend. at this point. Yeah. Yeah. All right. She's everyone's girlfriend. <laughs> she's a friend to all. Exactly. Love it. Girlfriend. Girlfriend. Um, you go, girl. Yeah, there you go. So at this point, many of her fellow tankers in her unit saw her as a publicity stunt and a joke, and they were not super happy to have her there. I get it, right? But I, I like, I don't agree. But I they totally probably get didn't it realize she actually had more training than they did. Well, and especially it's like, okay, this woman is cu- anyone coming in off the street who just bought their own tank, right? I'd be like, like the fuck? yeah, fuck you too, right? Um, so though they were initially skeptical, she quickly proved. That she could drive and shoot and throw grenades and that she had all of these skills that um, her late husband had taught her. Girls, get you a man who can treat you nice on the street and then teach you to throw grenades. Right. Not in the sheets, though. No, not in the sheets. Grenades are terrible in the sheets. Yeah, that, no. There will be no sheets after that. No, unless it's like um, a a grenade-shaped pocket pussy. Like a bottle of lube with Could a grenade shape? I don't know. I don't know. Are we thinking too hard about this? Probably. Are there grenade shaped sex toys? Is that a thing? Someone let us know. Should we make it? <laughs> yes. Is this our business? We'll monetize it. It'll say the fighting girlfriend on the grenade. That's going to be our brand. TM hashtag. What's the word I'm trying? Trademarked. Trademarked, Trademarked here yeah. now. Yes. Copyrighted. 
That's it. That's the word I was trying Patented. to think Patented. There you Thank go. Thank you for being here for me. Empowered women. Empower, empower women. women. There you go. So on her very first outing in the tank in Smolensk on October 21st, 1943, so she's only, you know, she got finished with her testing, what, a month ago? She and her crew outmaneuvered the German soldiers, killing around 30 of them, taking out an anti-tank gun as well as multiple machine gun nests. They shelled her tank, immobilizing the fighting girlfriend. She got out in the middle of the fight and started repairing her tank. So people are shooting at her and she's like, oh, just let me get out here and fix Yeah, she's it. like, oh shit, my, my tank's down. I gotta fix this. She then got back in and proceeded to kill more Germans. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. Um, at this point, she was promoted to the rank of sergeant for her feat and bravery. I mean, she better have been. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty fucking badass. So after this fight and, like, you know, during her next chunk of time in the army, she wrote a letter to her sister describing her time in the war. She said, and I quote, I've had my baptism by fire. I beat the bastards. And sometimes I'm so angry I can't even breathe. End quote. I like to think she's like, I don't even give a shit anymore. Bitches come at me. I assume she thinks you. she's not going home because she sold literally everything she has. Okay, that... Uh, she probably doesn't care. You know, she's like, my husband's dead. I'm going to go try and avenge him. And if I die doing it, I'm okay with that. This is still badass, but that also really bums me out. This is almost a suicide mission she's taken upon herself. Because she's like, yeah, I mean... My, my husband's back to. dead. These fucking they didn't have any children. bastards are wrecking my country. Fuck it. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, that's almost the most dangerous kind of person. Someone who has nothing to lose and is willing right. to just throw themselves head into a situation. Well, at least she was, like, good at it. Like, she wasn't... I mean, she was a little bit reckless, but she wasn't, like, you know, suicide bombing reckless. She wasn't putting anyone else in danger. She was just going out there and being like, come at me, bro. Right. Come at me, bitches. I'll fucking wreck you. <laughs> right. It's the whole no man can stop me. I am no man. Yes. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. Was that from Wonder Woman? No, that's from Lord of the Rings. Oh, shit. Oh. I mean, Wonder Woman made me feel the way this girl is making me feel right now. Oh, I'm so. glad. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Oh my god, I know. what? Shut what? Shut up. We're moving okay. past that. No, we're not. This is what we're going to watch next time uh, okay. when we're getting ready to record. All right. So a month later on November 17th, Maria took part in an assault on the German positions near Nove Selo, which is a town the Germans had captured from them. However, a German artillery shell exploded against her tank's tracks, halting her advance. So her, ta- her tank tracks got broken. Oh no. Um, Maria and a fellow crewman jumped out to repair the track while other crewmen gave covering fire from the tank's turret. So there's at least three of them. Okay. They did eventually fix the track and her tank rejoined the main unit several days later. So she got it going again. I wish I knew more about tanks because these tanks are getting like blown up and they're like, oh, just let me get out and fix it. Yeah. And I don't think that was super common. Yeah. So two months later, so now we're at January 1944. Maria fought in another night attack as part of the Leningrad-Novgorod offense, but the battle would prove to be her last. Oh, no. Um, the battle took place in a village of Shvedi near Vitbisk, which doesn't help me at all. Um, oh, Vitbisk? Yeah. Yeah, it's just like 10 kilometers south of Hoxbach. No, I'm, I'm making I have no things idea, up. Yeah. I'm being terribly offensive and I apologize. Um, so she drove her tank into the German defenses and destroyed resistance in the trenches and machine guns nest. Her tank crew and her also destroyed a German self-propelled gun, which I don't know what that is, but that sounds interesting. It sounds badass, so I'm glad it got destroyed. Subsequently, the tank was hit by German anti-tank shell, again in the tracks, and was immobilized. Maria immediately got out of the tank and began to repair it amid fierce small arms and artillery fire. She actually managed to repair the track, but unfortunately was hit in the head by shell fragments and lost consciousness. Oh, fuck. After the battle, she was transported to the Soviet Soviet military field hospital in Fastov near Kiev. I do know where Kiev is. So that was I've actually helpful. I've heard of helpful. Kiev. I couldn't tell you where it is Not on like the map. Chicken Kiev. Kiev <laughs> the city. Oh, I didn't realize Chicken Kiev was a thing. Oh, it's delicious. Kelly is more culinarily sophisticated than I am. <laughs> 
So she went to this field hospital where she remained in a coma for two months before finally dying on March 15th, which is one day before my birthday, which is really sad. Oh, no. Why do they have to tie in that way? Um, I know, right? The following August, Maria was posthumously made a hero of the Soviet Union, which is one of the highest honors you can receive. And she is buried in one of the nation's most sacred cemeteries. And she was the first of the very few female tank drivers to be awarded um, that Soviet... The, <laughs> the hero of the soviet union award which is why I, I did her plus i mean i'm not gonna tell justin this but you know if he ever went to war and died i'd probably go avenge him yeah mine would be like the fighting pug or something the fighting pug the fighting um oh fuck what's a what's a herd of pugs called grumble the fighting grumble Grumble of tanks. Grumble tanks. <laughs> you will have- buy three tanks and it'll be Grumble tanks. <laughs> one's named Dory, one's named Navi, one's named Atari. And the unit is called Grumble tanks. Yes. Oh. That's how the military works, right? You, you yeah. pay for it, you get to name it. Yeah, right? I'll just write a letter like she did. Love it. So, yeah, I felt that story wasn't long enough, so I did someone else. But Extra it's credit. Similar themed. So this woman's name is Sarah Emma Edmonds. She was born in December 1841. So Union soldiers during the Civil War knew a comrade known as Franklin Flint Thompson. But in reality, Thompson was really a woman, Sarah Emma Edmonds. I'm trying to think of a clever acronym for Franklin F. Thompson. Yeah, Franklin Flint Thompson. Freaking female tools. (laughs) Like, they should have known. Everyone knows FFT means freaking female tools. What are those dildos? That's all I can think of when you're saying freaking female tools. I'm like, no, no, like, she's a freaking female, comma, tools. Okay, like, calling go. them tools yeah. for not realizing. I'm sorry. Oh, that, that was that way was too... Let's that just, was a long let's walk. Let's just move on. It was a long walk for a bad joke. <laughs> um. So she was one of the few females officially known to have served during the civil war because obviously you know some of the females didn't reveal themselves so it's hard to know wasn't there a census okay check here if you're a man check here if you're a woman pretending to be a man (laughs) check here if you're just a woman check here if you know your blood types a (laughs) so like i said so she was originally born in canada so she was not originally a united states citizen but in 1857, so she was born in 41, left in 57, so 16 years old. I'm going to take your word for it because I refuse to math. <laughs> she ran away to escape the abuse and arranged marriage set up by her father. She changed her name to Edmonds when she left instead of Edmondson. Because um, she's not the son of right? anyone. In her memoir that she wrote later, she wrote that her family was overprotective, making her feel quote, sheltered but enslaved, and that her father was, quote, a stern master of ceremonies. That's like a really eloquent way to be like, my father's an overbearing dick. Right. So she she hadn't received much education growing up. And so when she ran away, she went to Moncton, which was another Canadian city. So she's still in Canada at this point. Um, For about a year, but she was fearful that her father would discover her and make her go home, you know, and she'd end up back where she had left. Um, So she decided to immigrate to the United States. In order to travel undetected and secure a job, she decided to disguise herself as a man because it was easier, like, to get a job and stuff at that time. Which is bullshit. Right. So she took on the name Franklin Thompson. Freaking female. And she found work in Hartford, Connecticut, traveling as a Bible salesman. She just go door to door. Yeah, she like, was a door to door Bible salesman. Like the Mormons. Have you heard the great word of Jesus yet? Have you heard the word of our Lord? And I mean, Savior? back then it was probably a lot easier to go door to door selling Bibles than this it would be now. This is true. <laughs> I get so freaked out when someone rings my doorbell and knocks on my door now because I'm like, who? I'm not expecting anyone. Yeah. Who the oh, fuck yeah. is coming? It's like, the I, I have no the uh, what? I said it's the Mormons. No offense. <laughs> they ruined it for everyone. But uh, I had, like, the AC and heat guy come by because I had a giant ice dam fall off and nail my AC unit. Yay, cold winters. Yeah, Minnesota's a great place to live. Everyone should live here. Don't don't actually live here. But I was, I was home, and he knocked on the door, and I'm like, what the fuck? Immediately, I'm like, lock this shit down. 
I'm going to get my kitchen knife. I'm ready to right, throw you tr- down. You try and like sneakily peek out the window to see if you know the person. And then Jared is like, oh, it's probably the AC guy. I'm like. And you're like, oh shit, I forgot about that. Oh, fuck you and your logic. I'm freaking out over here. And so I like grab my little chihuahua who's barking his fucking nuts off. And I go to the door. Wait, he still has his nuts? Well, not anymore because he barked them <laughs> <laughs> That's how they, that's how they neuter that's him, right? Works. They just like freak them out until they bark their nuts off science <laughs> but yeah it was just the ac guy i was That's like funny. oh man i was ready to like you oh, yeah. know the panic is real fight. i was ready to fight and you're here to help me i promise you i won't stab you with the kitchen knife i mean now i won't right so by the start of the civil war 1861 edmonds was boarding in flint michigan and she felt compelled to join the military out of a sense of duty she wrote quote i was aroused by my reverie by a voice in the street crying, New York Herald, fall of Fort Sumter, President's Proclamation, call for 75,000 men. This announcement startled me while Im- my imagination portrayed the coming struggle in all its fearful magnitude. It is true. I was not American. I was not obliged to stay here during this terrible strife. I could return to my native land where my parents would welcome me to the home of my childhood and my brothers and sisters would rejoice at my coming. But these were not the thoughts which occupied my mind. It was not my intention or desire to seek my own personal ease and comfort while so much sorrow and distress filled the land. But the great question to be decided was, what can I do? What part am I to act in this great drama? I was not able to decide for myself, so I carried this question to the throne of grace and found a satisfactory answer there. That's what she wrote in her memoir. That is fucking beautiful, and I feel like anyone who feels the call to serve can identify with that, because it is so much easier to stay home where you're familiar with everything. Especially when your home is in a different country where you can literally just be like, no, I'm not dealing with any of this shit. Oh, she doesn't even have like the, you know, kind of patriotic sense of duty, you know, and that's that's really incredible, and thank you to her, because that's that's beautiful so she enlisted in the second michigan infantry as a male field nurse extensive physical examinations were not required for enlistment at this time so she wasn't discovered and her disguise was a complete success for nearly a year so i'm gonna go like 364 days and then they were like they were like why don't you ever just like pee in the bushes like the rest of us well it's complicated although her comrades although her and her comrades sorry did not participate in the Battle of the First Manassas on July 22nd. They were instrumental in covering the Union retreat from the field. She stayed behind to nurse wounded soldiers and barely eluded capture to return to her regiment in Washington. She continued to work as a hospital attendant for the next several months. In March of ni- 1862, not 1962. We're jumping 1862. Way ahead. She's um, a time wizard. She was assigned the duty of a mail carrier for the regiment. And later that month, they were shipped out to Virginia as part of General McClennan's Peninsula Campaign. I actually know some of these people in, like, places, and I'm like, ah, American history. Look at you being all smarts. So from April 5th to May 4th, they took part in the Siege of Yorktown. Um, And it was during this time that supposedly she became part of espionage missions. There's kind of some, you know, back and forth of, well, there's no, like real proof of her doing this but there's no proof to say she didn't you know so it's just in her memoirs what she wrote well let's be fair they don't document spy activity heavily activity yes i said that word right (laughs) i would have said something but yeah i mean there's not going to be a lot of records like july 24th 18 something someone so and so went in the field to spy on the confederate someone i was gonna do instead of her is someone just known as agent 355 but i felt like there wasn't enough material there to do anything because they don't know her name it was a her it was was, a woman yep because the code that they used for this specific spy ring was called the culper cipher and 355 in the Culper cipher literally means lady. Oh, shit. But they don't know who she was. And so, like, everything was speculative. And I'm like, I just... Most of the story would be about, like, the men in the spy ring. Mm-hmm. And then her, what they think she did. And I just didn't feel comfortable doing it. But I did want to bring her up and say that there was... During um, the American Revolution against the British, there was this badass spy simply known as 355. Wow, honorary shout out. Yeah, I mean, right? we have um, Dr. Baker, I think it was, that I mentioned in episode two. Yep. 
I didn't feel I might actually be getting their name wrong. I, I sincerely apologize. Go back and listen to episode two to figure that one out. But I couldn't identify whether they were a woman posing as a man yep. out of necessity or if they genuinely yep. were a and, man. And this one was a woman who chose to act as a man. I mean, yeah, but honorary shout outs all, yeah, all around. All around. So like I said, there's no definitive proof. But in her memoir, she details several exploits behind enemy lines. Um, one of her alleged spy missions was a Southern sympathizer named Charles Mayberry. Another was a black man named Cuff, um, for which she she used silver nitrate to dye her skin and used wigs. I was just going to ask you, how does a Canadian pretend to be a black man? <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then yet another was a Brit. So she was a woman pretending to be a man who then pretended to be a woman. This is like Tropic of- Thunder. <laughs> yeah. One of her other espionage identities was Bridget O'Shea, an Irish peddler. That's so more like, believable. All right. <laughs> that one was probably super easy for you. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm going to take off this girdle. This is great. Let the boobs free. I love it. She she bumps this on. Oh, sorry, boot that. What did you just say? Oh, shit, I can't do an Irish I know, accent. I was like, uh, I was going to try and cover you there, but... <laughs> if I was a more confident woman, I would do an Irish accent, but I'm not going to discredit or disavow the entire nation that way, yeah. so... We're just going to move on. Let's just pretend I did, and so, it was great. Yeah. In her memoir, she writes about her first spy mission, which involved that silver nitrate and wigs to play as a slave named Cuff in a comp- in Confederate military camp. So she was part of the Union... The North. She was part of the North. The and Union. She, yeah. I was like, I'm pretty sure they were called the Union. Yep. The Union um, and the Confederates. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> American History 101 yes. here. Wine 101. Wine 101. <laughs> um, Wine makes you dumb. <laughs> so she poses a slave in the Confederate camps. Mm-hmm. Um, and while she was there, you know, she helped build ramparts and work in the kitchen and, you know, had to do all the slavey things. The slavey things. Um, but she also eavesdropped on conversations. And when she escaped, when she was assigned as a Confederate Confederate picket, which I don't know what that was. Maybe it was like digging trenches or something. She she put all the Confederate picket fences. Yeah, and when you put them all together, they had the Confederate flag and it was all very tacky. Yeah. Well, she escaped during that, so it never got finished. Okay. So it's fine. So she went and told General McClellan. McClellan? McClellan. McClellan? Irish names. McClellan. See, we can't do Irish. We're Um, terrible at it. (laughs) So she went and informed him of, like, their troop size, their weapons, and the location of Quaker guns, which I guess were logs painted to look like cannons at a distance. So you didn't know that they weren't cannons. So she was able to tell them, like, oh, no, this isn't a real cannon. You don't have to worry about it, which is pretty sweet. Oh, they were, like, punking each yeah, other. Yeah, they were called Quaker cannons, which I which I kind of, kind of, kind of or Quaker guns, which I kind of... They were Quaker guns, which find found kind, kind of, of funny. funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, because Quakers were pacifists. Well, and that makes sense. Exactly. That it, well, it so looks like funny. a gun, but it's, it's not, not, and it can't kill you, but Quakers were actually, like, right? kind of crazy. Exactly. Yeah. So I just thought that was funny. And then a few months later, she supposedly infiltrated another Confederate camp, um, this time as the female Irish peddler Bridget O'Shea. Um, That's a beautiful name. That's going to be my fake name. Guys at bars are like, hey, babe, what's your name? Bridget Bridget O'Shea? See, I can't do Irish. That was decent. Okay. Maybe it's the wine talking. It was It was the uh, same level of Irish as this wine was flavorful. It's like, no, it was an accent that like... Was in the same room as an ja- Irish person. Irish adjacent. <laughs> Irish adjacent. <laughs> um, this time, she returned with valuable military information as well as a really nice horse and a wound on her arm from being bitten by a horse when she was trying to retrieve medical supplies from, like, the saddlebags on the horse. Different horse than she brought back, but I'm like, that's pretty funny. You got I was going to take you, but fuck, <laughs> fuck you. you. <laughs> You can go to the glue factory. Karen, you're being kind of a bitch right now. <laughs> I'm going to take Sally. I'm sorry. All it makes me think of is, your horse bit me on the butt. <laughs> Shout out, really old movie, The Road to El Dorado. Oh, my God. That That's is such from. a good movie. There was one year Kelly and I, along with a male friend of, a, of ours, did a um, gender-bent Halloween costume trio for Road it to El Dorado. Great. I was... Tulio, yeah, and I you was were Miguel. Miguel. 
And our friend was Chell. Chell. And it was it was beautiful. great. If you ever want to watch a movie, like a really old movie with a pretty decent storyline and pretty good music, you know, El Dorado. It's animated. You keep saying really old, and I'm I'm like, no, it's not really old. And then I realize it's almost twenty years yeah. or so old. I'm like, fuck. We're old. <laughs> so in 1862, her regiment came under heavy fire during the Battle of Williamsburg, and she was caught in the thick of it, and at one point ended up picking up a musket and firing with her comrades, even though she was just, you know, a male nurse. Male nurse. Not just a nurse. Nurses are badass. Yeah, they are. Male or female. I work in a hospital, yes. I know. <laughs> so she also acted as a stretcher bearer, um, ferrying the wounded from the field hour after hour and in the pouring rain. So that sounds fun. That's got to be such a nightmare of a job, just picking the wounded out of this field. Oh, yeah, because you got to well, know they're, they're screaming and crying, and now it's raining. The, f- the fighting might have stopped when it started to raining, because they probably had really shitty visibility. This is true, but that's just... Anything involving the Civil War is just epic levels of horrific Yeah, and it was gory. terrible. So in the summer of 1682, um, saw her continuing her duties as a mail carrier, which often involved hundreds of miles of territory through it inhabited by dangerous bushwhackers, which I think were basically just like guerrilla troops that would lie in wait to ambush people. She also saw action at Fair Oaks and Malvern Hill, where she acted as a hospital attendant because that was her job. Oh, I thought you were like signaling me. No, I'm sorry. I'm just scratching my ear. <laughs> you can cut this out, but I was like, what What are you trying to say? You were like looking at me really intently, so I started scratching my ear more slowly. Like, am I doing something No, I thought wrong? you were trying to like be like, you're talking too quiet or too loud. I was like, what are you doing? I'm tugging on my ear. Yeah. That's the signal. <laughs> signal for what? We don't know. <laughs> um. So once the Peninsula campaign was ended, they, her and her unit went back to Washington where supposedly she continued her work as a spy, going undercover as Cuff again, and then later as an African-American woman, like a laundry woman. Apparently, at that time, she was able to steal papers out of an officer's jacket, which she was able to bring back to her regiment. Do you just think that the people who own slaves were just so oblivious of who well, their slaves were they thought they were dumb, like, yeah. That-, that they were just like, oh... You're like, I mean, what, she used nitrate to dye her skin? That couldn't have been very believable. I have no idea. I have no idea what silver nitrate does to someone's skin, but it probably isn't healthy. But I'm just saying, like, I mean, they clearly were not even, like, acknowledging these people. No, not at all. That's why we won. Yeah, yeah. No, the Civil War was super dumb, and the Union won, and we're glad for that. So in August of 1862, her unit took part in the Battle of the Second Manassas. So they missed the first one, but they got in on the second one. <laughs> they um, held the second one just for them. Yeah, exactly. Acting as a courier during the battle, she was forced to ride a mule after her horse was killed, at which point she was thrown into a ditch. She broke her leg and suffered internal injuries. Oh, no, um, these injuries plagued her for the rest of her life and were one of the main reasons she would apply for pension later in her, war pension later in her life. I'd love to hear how that all turned out. Oh, it's later. So in December... It doesn't say a year, so I would assume it's the same year. So, 1862, she served as an orderly directly under her commander, and they didn't see much action at that time, but they were constantly in the saddle. She was relaying messages from different parts of the troops, from the headquarters to the front lines and back again. And in the spring of 1863, she contracted malaria and requested a furlough to leave the army to get it treated, and she was denied. Not wanting to seek medical attention from the army. Because... They're going to find yep, out she's a for, woman. For fear of discovery. She left her comrades in mid-April never to return. Franklin Thompson was subsequently charged with desertion. Obviously. Because she, you know, because once, by the time she recovered from the malaria, he was already, had been, he had already been charged. So she couldn't, like, go back and be like, sorry guys, I was just, nah, you know. So, so, so she sought outside help from the military. Outside the military help for her malaria. So that she wouldn't be discovered as a woman. But then they realize, hey, where the fuck is Frank Thompson? Yep. And so he was charged with desertion, which is not good. Not a, yeah, it's a big deal. So after her recovery, she, you know, was like, I don't need this disguise anymore. So she worked with the United States Christian Commission as a female nurse now. And she worked there from June 1863 until the end of the war. 
Afterwards, she wrote and published her memoirs, which she initially called Unsexed or the Female Soldier. I love that. Which was later published under the titles of The Female Spy of the Union Army and The Nurse and Spy in the Union Army. I really wish they would have kept the original one. Yeah, Unsexed is like right? immediately very captivating to me. And especially for the 1800s. Like, right. actually, That's probably I'm, why they changed it. I was going to say, I'm not surprised they changed it because Unsexed sounds a little too like... It has the word sex in it. Yeah. Um, no, no, babies just magically apparate out of nowhere. No one touches right? each other. And so her the first edition was actually published in 1864, and she donated all the profits of her books to various soldiers' aid groups, which is super oh, nice. Oh, God, good for her. In 1867, she married Linus Seeley, Seeley, something like that, S-E-E-L-Y-E, Seeley, 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 that's what I'm going with. Which was a mechanic, and they had three children together. Unfortunately, they all died young of various ailments. I couldn't tell if you said fortunately or unfortunately. Un- unfortunately. So I waited till you finished your sentence. I'm like, I'm going to assume she um, meant unfortunately. They did. This did lead them to adopting um, two sons, though. Oh, that's sweet. Yes. I was like, oh, Good so for them. So in 1876, so quite a few years after the war, stopping stupid. Sorry. Google Techn- Google Drives is being obnoxious. Technology. It's sexist. Yes. So in 1876, she attended a reunion of her brigade, the 2nd Michigan, and she was actually very warmly received by her comrades. And later they would aid her in having the charge of desertion removed from her records. Oh. And they also would support her in her application for military pension. So in 1884, so several years later, Congress finally grant used a special act that would finally grant her a veteran's pension of $12 a month. How much was that? I don't then? know. I didn't look it up. I'm sorry, everyone. I hope it was significant. I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure it was decent. Whenever I hear anything about veterans benefits or veterans pensions, I'm immediately like, okay, bring it on. I'm right. I'm ready to be disappointed. The bill to, clo- to clear her name for desertion um, moved slowly, but it was eventually passed two years later in 1886. That's good. That's yes. amazing. She was then able to, she then could apply for back pay and bounty, which she would have earned if she hadn't been charged with desertion. That took another two years. Yeah, the system is slow and shitty. So at that point, that would be 1988. In 1988? 1888. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. No, that was me. I did say 1988. It is super slow. It's slow as frozen shit. She was dead by a lot. Um, So in 1897, so, you know, eight years later, she was admitted to the Grand Army of the Republic and was the only woman member. And then one year later, she died in her home in La Porte, Texas. And in 1901, she actually got the honor of being reburied with military honors at the Washington Cemetery in Houston. Oh, my God. Which is a huge honor. And that was her life. That was beautiful. Your stories were, I mean, the first one was a bummer because... Bummer, but a badass. Because she was killed in action, but definitely a badass. Very uplifting. I definitely got Wonder Woman storming No Man's Land vibes from it. Second one... It was a struggle, but she was kind of given her dues. Right. And I'm really happy to say mine's not going to end on that bummer of a note. So Good, good. We're having an that's, upbeat that's how episode. We're doing. Upbeat. <laughs> All right. So she after last episode, which is a little depressing. Yeah, last episode came with a content warning, so we're trying to we're trying to keep it up this week. All right. So my story is a little shorter than normal. Normally, my stories are like four plus pages. This is like only ass. two. I know. But I was actually very surprised that there weren't a ton of resources on my lady. And I tried to like look up different people's names and different yep. statistics to beef it up. And one she I ran... didn't do extra credit like I did. No. I was like, oh, this is too short. I'll do a second one. And then she's like, oh, mine's only two pages. And I'm like, I can only do one. And she's well, like, no, it's fine. We're we're at a decent amount of time, so I'm not too terribly We're, we're providing you with quality content, people. Yes, we work very hard to do this. All right. So this is actually the first woman I'm going to cover that was suggested by my mother. Yay. Shout and out Emily's mom. Go Gwen. Empowered women. Empowered women. Woo. All right. So I will be covering Isabella Goodwin, New York City's first 
female police detective. Ooh. We're getting a little crimey in We're here. We're getting a little Veronica Marzi. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Great 90s show. They're early 2000s, right? I don't know. You talk. I'll look it up. Okay. But Kelly, funny note, Kelly and I, when we first met, we would talk about true crime a lot. And I remember the first time I ever got mad at Kelly was I was talking about Lizzie Borden, who was something I re- someone I researched deeply in middle school and high school. And she's like, she like corrected me on a year or something. I was like, don't <laughs> fucking even. Step back, bitch. Yes. But we're best friends and it's okay. It was early 2000s. Emily was right. Yes. I'm always right. I can admit when I'm wrong. Why do you question me? I love you. Aw, you're keeping me on my toes. Okay, so Isabella Goodwin was born in Greenwich Village, Manhattan on February 20th, 1865. So her and I are 126 years and one day apart. What is with you choosing women that were like born similarly to you? It is always a fucking accident, which leads me to believe it's the universe telling me I'm, like, spiritually related to these people. I'm channeling their energy through my body. Okay. And I love it. I feel their power. Growing up, she had dreams of being an opera singer. It's that- a valid dream. Yeah. I but mean- it's, you have to, like, the qualifications to actually become an opera singer are so intense like you have to have a certain vocal range you have to be able to hold notes for a certain amount of time like it is insane we actually saw an opera singer one year at the uh minnesota state fair talent show i think she ended up winning the whole thing i do believe so absolutely incredible and the fact that she was performing at a uh at the minnesota state fair one i mean i'm not trying to diminish her skill but i'm like Wow, she is blowing my mind, and I bet she's was not she even, the like, the cream of the crop. teenage category? I can't remember what age group she was no, in. No, she, she was won the Was she in, like, the, the free thing. group? Okay, yeah. Yeah, she, she was in the, like, the beautiful red dress. Yeah, I, remember. I remember her. Oh, my God. Stunning. Anyway, being an opera singer didn't quite pan out, but it's okay. At 19, she married police officer John W. Goodwin in 1885. Together, they had six children, four of which survived. Well, that's good. So, that's mean, a pretty good ratio. For the 1800s, that's, um, I mean, losing a child is tragic no matter how many you have, but that's a pretty good yes. ratio there. Unfortunately, though, John died in 1896, leaving the 30-year-old Isabella a widow and Aww. single mother of four. That's insane. Tough stuff. So in 1881, the NYPD began hiring women as police matrons or jail matrons to watch after female prisoners, child prisoners, deal with female crime victims, sex crime cases, and of course clean the cells because they're I mean, women. Aside from like the cleaning part, I actually really like the name police matron. It's kind of a cool name. Right? I think I found my next tattoo. <laughs> police matron. The fighting girlfriend. Yeah, and one will be matron. on one arm <laughs> and then the other one will be on the other That's arm. That's what I'm going to name my guns. Yeah, there you go. Ugh. Don't make me f- Take out the fighting girlfriend and the police matron. And I just flex and everyone laughs at me. I wouldn't. (laughs) After the death of her husband, Isabella applied to become a police matron. And this actually wasn't uncommon for widows of police officers. Usually the station would help the the widows get jobs with the police station, kind of taking care of their own, which good on them. After passing an exam, she was hired by Theodore Roosevelt, who was the police commissioner at the time. Wow. You might recognize him as her 26th president. I don't know. Maybe he's like a little fringe. (laughs) I mean, he was a knight at the museum. Oh, my God. Robin Williams as Theodore Roosevelt is the best thing in the world. No one can tell me He was in both knights at the museum. Yes. I don't know about the third one because I've never seen it, but he was in the first two. I think the third was the last movie that came out that Robin Williams was in. Oh. Yeah, I didn't see it, though. We'll add it to our list. Yes. The police matron position wasn't great, however. Isabella only made $1,000 a year, which is about $30,000 today. And actually, I $30,000 is not a lot today, but I have a lot of friends who would do a lot of things for $30,000 a year. Which is sad. Yeah. Well, so, and the thing is, you can, there's no way you can support yourself 
let alone four children on $30,000 a year. Exactly. She was also only allowed one day off per month, which I'm assuming means one day total, not one day plus weekends. Okay, that's what I was, I was gonna say, wait, like one, just one day? Yeah, I, because it wasn't like, oh, she had like one day of PTO. It was like, no, she had one day a month off. So she is working. Back then, it was like, at least in most companies, it was, yeah, six to seven hour work days. That's insane. Yeah, so she is working. Those poor children. 30 to 29 days a week. For $30,000 a year, and she's got four children. Those poor children. Yeah, it's a, it's a struggle. Despite this, she served as a police matron for 15 years. Oh. During this time, she began going undercover to investigate crimes while her mother watched her four children. So the children are taking Empowered care of. Empowered women empower women, like good on you, mom. Yes, yes. She would pose as an ignorant society lady and expose fortune tellers, healers, and other what she called fakers. She would also infiltrate and expose women-only betting parlors posing as a gambler. So she basically went on these undercover missions where the men could not. I will 100% say that I thought you said women-only betting, (laughs) B-E-D-D, parlors, and then... You said something about, like, betting, or you said something about gambling, and I was like, oh, B-E-T-T. I totally thought you were talking about, like, brothels. Yes, yes. The uh, the lesbian brothels of the late 1800s were a big deal back in New York City. Oh, yeah, no, they would have gotten booted. I'm like, what is the word I'm looking? I'm over here making hand gestures She's of, like, like getting around. kicking out. <laughs> then, in 1912... Isabella got her big break. In a bold midday bank robbery in downtown Manhattan, robbers dubbed the Taxi Bandits, hijacked a cab full of bank workers, assaulted two clerks, and stole $25,000. Jesus, that's almost her yearly salary. Well, in today's money, it's almost her yearly salary. Okay. $25,000 in 1912 Okay, that's a lot of money. In today's money... That is uh, $651,484.54. Yeah, I'd like that amount of That's money. That's a nice-ass house right there. I'm like, I could pay off my student loans. I could buy a nice car. And Emily's over there like, I could buy a really big fucking house. Well, I only say that because at work the other day we were joking about just leaving it all and moving to California. And so we were looking up how much does a crap shack in California cost? And yeah, it's about $600,000. Ridiculous. (laughs) Which is why we live in the freezing north. Yep. Yep. The robbery gained national attention. And despite 60 detectives being assigned to the case, it went unsolved. The end. All right, let's go. (laughs) Uh, The NYPD was at a distinct advantage against criminals using cars at the time for a quick getaway as they didn't even have police cars yet. So we think of like a midday bank heist not being a really big deal. You know, there are cameras everywhere. There's people everywhere. But back Mm -hmm. then, the NYPD didn't even have cars to chase people down. They should just steal their own taxis. Like, sir. I need your taxi. Get the fuck out of the taxi. I gotta chase like, some Like others. you see in movies when they're like, I need to commandeer your car. Move. Yes. As concerns about copycat crimes and frustration mounted, the sheriff's office actually proposed arming civilians so they could fight crime on their own, Batman style. Vigilantes everywhere, bitches. Loving it. Uh, eventually, the police got a lead about one of the suspected robbers, gangster Eddie... The boob kinsman. I suppose the boob used to... Okay, actually, being a boob used to be an insult. Like... Isn't it still an insult? You don't call someone a boob and go, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's a cool nickname. Besides our friend Drew, who still calls people a boob. It's it's not a commonly used insult, but it's still an insult. Like, when I first heard him say it a few weeks ago, he was just like, yeah, boob. And I'm like, wait, people still say that? Well, Drew still says that. Drew was the chell in our group, so we love the fuck out of him. So uh, our uh, gangster friend will henceforth be known as the boob, the boob exclusively because you don't get a nickname like that and not let me use it. The boob had been frequent, 
frequenting a local sketchtastic boarding house to visit his girlfriend, Swede Annie. Sweet. That is definitely a hooker name. Everyone. Like Swede, S-W-E-D-E. S-W-E-D-E. So I'm going to. Yeah, that's what I said. No, I thought you said S-W-E-E-D. No, I said E-D-E. I'm too drunk to process this. Swede Annie. See, I thought it was like an ethnically charged nickname, like she's Swedish. I mean, I I assume so too, but I also assume that she's a hooker. As opposed to Polish Annie or Czech Annie. Like, there's a lot of Annie. I'm still assuming it's a hooker name. Well, she's constantly referred to as his girlfriend, so maybe. Just continue. Anyway, that's where Isabella came in. Isabella was asked to pose as a maid at the boarding house and collect evidence that implicated the boob in the heist. Dressed in rags and... The boob in the... (laughs) We're gonna catch this boob. So help me God, this boob will pay for his crimes against humanity. Dressed in rags and speaking with an Irish accent, Isabella began her mission. There's a lot of Irish accents. You want to try it again? No, (laughs) I I won't. Okay, I'm going to save everyone that embarrassment. Isabella would later recall eating scraps and sleeping in quote a dark, wretched little hole, unquote. Between her maid duties, because she was legit working as a maid. Well, yeah, you have to when you're undercover. Like, you can't just, like, half-ass it. Yeah, for, like, I don't remember if it was $6 a day or $6 a week. $6 I hope she was still getting her uh, $30,000 a year on the side from the police. Oh, no, that's why they had her go undercover all the time. Like, well, we're going to suspend your cop pay and let you take the shitty $6 a week. Good job. Yes. Congratulations. Have fun. I'm making that up. I don't know if that was right. So between her maid duties, uh, she would listen to conversations through walls and door holes and get close to the thieves' girlfriends to gather intel. Very, very snazzy. Some of the information she gathered included signs of the boob's sudden wealth, such as a shopkeeper saying the boob was, quote, shedding money like a molting canary. Ooh. What a very 1800s way to say someone is making it rain. (laughs) Right. Because that's how we say it now. We're making it rain. Oh, bitch is making it rain like there's a drought. No, he's shedding money like a molting canary. That's cute. Yeah. No, I don't like the image of a boob, a a boob molting. He's a blue-footed booby molting money like a shedding canary. (laughs) (laughs) Are we the only ones that think this is funny? (laughs) I hope not. When the boob's girlfriend, Swede Annie, confessed to Isabella that, quote, Eddie the boob turned the trick all right. Yes, even his fucking girlfriend called him the boob. I really want to know his origin story. I looked him up. Okay, I literally Googled Eddie the boob kinsman, and I found an article about men suing a pharmaceutical company for a medication that made them grow boobs. That That's was, it? That was it. Wow. I mean, I didn't click on the link. <laughs> dang it emily i mean it was also while we were watching veronica mars so i was you're like oh maybe i should google this guy well because i was thinking about because i was looking at all these places to beef up this story i was like oh maybe i should google him maybe he's a big deal because this case made national headlines and i couldn't find shit they don't want people to know about the boob it was just 1800s headlines it's like oh no one cares no one cares about the boob So after this confession, the police were finally able to make arrests. After her successful undercover operation, Isabella was promoted to the rank of detective. Get it, girl? Heck yeah. A few years later, Isabella moved to Brooklyn where she met Oscar A. Seaholm, a handsome singer 30 years her junior. Oh. In 1921, she put a ring on it. Oh. Get it. Through the 1920s, Isabella oversaw the NYPD's new Women's Bureau, which handled cases involving sex workers, runaways, truants, and victims of domestic violence. Wow. Yeah. Good job. I'm shocked they even thought those were things back in the 1920s. Like, some of them, I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. The other ones, I'm like, really? That was a thing? Yeah. Uh, In 1924, Isabella worked with prosecutors to investigate fraudulent medical practices and was instrumental in securing several high-profile arrests. 
The same year, she retired after a 30-year career with the NYPD. Heck yeah, get it. it at 78 years old, Isabella died of colon cancer on Aww. October 26, 1943. She was buried in Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn under the name Isabella Seaholm. Although I found records claiming she had kept her last name Goodwin during her life, despite having married Seaholm. So, I mean... Mixed records. Take that as you will. Also, her grave is incorrectly indicates her year of birth as 1871, despite census records and a bunch of other resources indicating her original birth year as 1865. You know, they just wanted her to look younger. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure she requested that. Her last dying wish. Make me six years younger. Yes. Please. Because then he's only 24 years her junior, not 30. Yeah. I mean, if if he's of age and, like, you do you. You're consenting adults. Or you do him, apparently. Yeah, I mean, you do each other consensually and with respect and listen to each other. <laughs> um, Her legacy. Today, there are over 6,570 women working in the NYPD out of 6,500, 65, oh my god, 36,500 members, making up approximately 18%. Wow. They include 781 detectives, 753 sergeants, and 200 lieutenants, which in my opinion, 18% is not enough, but hopefully trending in the right direction. Well, and it might just be that I feel like that's a lot of women don't necessarily want that job but the ones that do are awesome and badass or they're not encouraged yeah in those kinds of things like women in science which is bullshit if you want to do science do science hey guys i can't do math but that's not because i'm a woman it's because i suck at math and i have a learning disability other women can do math and they're amazing Recent t- A recent TV show, The Alienist, based on Caleb Carr's 1994 novel of the same name, features a character, Sarah Howard, played by Dakota Fanning, who hmm. I've always been a fan of, who is heavily based on Isabella. So he actually found out about her while looking through some, like, old NYPD records. That's super cool. The Fearless Mrs. Goodwin, How New York's First Female Police Detective Cracked the Crime of the Century by Elizabeth Mitchell was written and is available on Amazon. I did not buy it because I did not have enough time. And these are shallow dives. So. For now. Give it a read. I looked everywhere for this gal and I really couldn't find any more information than I shared. I found some conflicting years and dates and things like that. But. I have to imagine there's got to be more information about New York City's first female police detective, especially since she was working on such a high-profile case that they would not have cracked without her. Hmm. I mean, maybe it's a lot of, like, old records that are, like, microfilm in, like, New York libraries that are not on the internet. This is true. I mean, if you – I'm I'm referring to a uh, Hulu thing I've been seeing for the past – two weeks but uh you know the act on hulu no based on oh my god get hulu but there there's a there's a famous case about uh gypsy rose oh i want to watch we need to watch that we you should come did you already watch watch it it. i haven't because i need to watch watch it it together yes but basically um this i do know about this abusive mother with munchausen's by proxy was faking her daughter's significant illness and part of what allowed her to do that was the her medical records had been lost in Katrina and she just bounced from doctor to doctor so it's yep. like even I mean this was recent this was well, in the last and decade to the point where Gypsy Rose didn't even know how old she was oh yeah because her mother kept lying oh she's 13 three like, years later she's still I was gonna 13. say there's a part in the commercial so I don't feel like this is a spoiler that yeah they're going to a doctor and she says this is Gypsy Rose my whatever age daughter and gypsy goes oh i thought i was this age and she goes shh gypsy like you know she like shushes her but yeah i mean records back in the 1800s were super sketchy and they're actually still pretty sketchy today in some cases so maybe that explains it regardless isabella goodwin certified badass whining about her history stamp. stamp of badassery so good for her. Yeah, I. So I is that your is that are you done? I'm I'm okay. done. I'm raising my so hands. So before we go into our thanks, although this is kind of part of at least my thanks, 
I would like to give a shout out to Babe Biggie and Bear, my knitting sister who makes amazing things. You should totally go check out her Etsy shop. She does like, she does hats, she does scarves, she does baby stuff. She totally just crocheted herself a pair of pants that actually look amazing. If you told me, oh, hey, I have crocheted pants, I'd be like, oh, well, good luck with that. Hers actually look incredible. But she gave us a shout out on her instagram the other day so i just wanted to give her a shout out on the air she she's got really great stuff she's got an etsy go check her out there she's great for gifts or you know if you live somewhere where it's cold all the goddamn time like in minnesota she's got great shit hell yeah that's babe and biggie bear babe biggie and bear oh fuck Bay Biggie and Bear. I was not prepared for this shout out. <laughs> She's like, oh god. I didn't so do Emily, my homework. What are you thankful for? You know what's crazy is when I got here, I had all these things that I was super thankful for, and now they're all blanking on me. It's the wine. It's the wine. It just makes me forget everything except for wine. One, I'm really thankful for my boyfriend Jared. He's been incredibly supportive while we've been doing this podcast. And especially taking care of things around the house, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. You go do you, hon. I got this. And so I'm very thankful for that. And I want to give him a shout out. And especially us talking about military women and the call to serve makes me think of him. He is a veteran. And I'm very thankful for his service and especially for just him being around and being so wonderful to me. So shout out to Jared. I'm very thankful for him. I feel like now I have to be thankful for my husband. I mean, I think we're always thankful for our significant Um, others. But I I am thankful for him because, you know, unlike, was it last episode or two episodes ago with our Navi interruption at the door, I would like to thank him for watching the Puglets, why we record and keeping them out of trouble and keeping them from annoying us. So thanks, Justin. You know what's funny is I know some podcasters who record with their pets in the room. Oh, God, I... Maybe Atari, except you'd hear in the those, background the entire time. Those brachycephalic babes. So like, and Dory would be fine, but you can't have Dory and Atari on opposite sides of a door from one another. They and love each other. They do. They want to be together, but they get angry when they're not. <laughs> they're little um, salt and pepper pugs. And Navi's just a no. Navi. She would be, it would be like every two seconds, Navi, don't eat that. Navi, don't do that. Navi. <laughs> Navi. This would turn into the no Navi podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so be thankful. Be, be thankful for my husband watching the Puglets. My own grumble. Aw. I actually, there are a laundry basket full of cheese up for adoption at the local C-H-I. shelter. I. Chi as in chihuahua, yeah, not short- cheese as in C-H-E-E-S-E, the delicious food. I was thinking about adopting a laundry, laundry basket full of Swiss cheese because it just really needs a good home in my belly. <laughs> in my belly. But no, there's like four chihuahuas up for adoption at the local uh, Humane Society. And I tried to convince Jared to adopt them so I could have like a herd of cheese because I have one chi already. I have a pit bull and then I would have four more what- cheese. Like a group of cheese is called. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Because that's what people shout when they come at you. <laughs> You're like, oh God. And Jared said no, but I think it's just because he's afraid of my power. The chi power? Yes. All of the chiness. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I think that's it for us. Please hit us up on Instagram at Pod. Facebook at Whining About Herstory, and email us about the incredible women in your life at whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com. I know my mother's been incredibly supportive by sending me women every week to cover. I know Kelly's mom has been incredibly supportive. Our other friend Emily has been incredibly supportive by sharing women with us. We want to hear about the women you want us to cover and just the women in your life who who may never get a shout out on a podcast. Yeah, we'll shout them out. We will shout them the fuck out to the sun. You know, unless they don't like vulgar language, at which point you'd have to like skip our entire episode just to the shout out portion. Yeah. But that's fine. Indicate in your email if you want a clean shout out or a natural shout out. (laughs) (laughs) Mix it up a little. Well, thank you so much for listening. This has been Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.